Welcome to Simply Ideal HQ. On this podcast, we engage thought leaders on topical issues around law and business in the most simplistic manner. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Simply by Deal HQ. On this episode, our conversation will be centered around impact financing as a viable capital option for bolstering sustainable real sector growth in Africa. We are privileged to be joined by the very delightful Dr. Sarah Burns, who is the founder and CEO of NIA Africa, an impact investment fund dedicated to exceptional you know, African businesses and supporting their capital sourcing efforts by matching them with investors who want to combine financial returns with social and environmental impact. Dr. Burns, we're excited to have you on this episode of Simply. I'm sure that our listeners are excited to hear your perspectives on how African can mobilize impact funding to meet its growing infrastructure and development needs in the face of dwindling domestic resources. Now, without wasting any more time, please permit me to jump right into our first question. In simple terms, please tell us what exactly impact investing is and how does it differ from other conventional capital sources? Well, first off, I mean, thank you so much for for having me on the podcast. Um, I'm really glad to be here. I'm just going to make a a very quick uh, not correction, um, but I'm technically not a doctor yet because I haven't actually graduated from my PhD. Um, so I finished my PhD, but there's uh, about a year delay until I graduate. So, um, but but much appreciate the the use of doctor. So in terms of what impact investing is, I think we need to look at it um, from you know three different uh, levels. And so right now in the impact investing market. Uh, we hear we hear ESG all the time, so environmental, social, and governance. And so, in my mind, using and measuring ESG is now becoming very standard investing. And so, most commercial investing now includes an ESG factor. And so, I think if we really dive into it, if we want to do impact investing, um, we now actually need to move further than just ESG. And so a lot of the research that I did is is how do we actually find that kind of deep impact area? And so a lot of uh, organizations and impact investors use the sustainable development goals um, and measuring against them to determine whether an investment is impactful or not. Um, I do think it's certainly a good step and it's something that we do at NIA. Um, But I think if we really look at the theory behind it, we actually need to look at three different factors um, of of investment. And so when we do impact investing, you um, you have the risk of the investment, you have the financial returns, and then of course you have the impact. And so I think if we really want to increase that impact, it means that we need to take on a bit more risk which I think in Africa means, um, you know, doing more early stage deals, um, doing uh, more small businesses, working with smaller businesses, um, doing more research and development, um, or we need to uh, decrease our returns slightly. And and those things mean mean that we're 
actually having more impact because commercial investors would not be taking on that extra risk or that kind of small decrease in returns. And so I think when we think about the African market, there's a lot of opportunity um, to do impact if you're willing to take on a little bit more risk um, or if you might have, you know, slightly lower than market returns. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to have both, right? You can still have risky investments and have very, very good financial returns. And so I think that's really what we need to, to think about when we go into impact investing. Okay, thank you very much. So now about um, Near Africa. Please tell us, you know, what work you do and how you are supporting capital drive to African businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to talk about Nia, my research when I did my PhD really asked this question of, of how effective is impact investing in Africa? And we found that there is lots of you know great work that's happening, but the area that is requiring the most help um, is in is with small and growing businesses. Um, and so this is the area where we're finding the most bottlenecks for businesses. You know, it's very hard for them to find financing. Um, it's seen as very risky for investors to invest in these smaller businesses. Um, and there's really no bridge to get to um, those higher those higher levels where it starts to become kind of less risky for investors. And so this is really the area that Nia wants to focus on, are these businesses that are being left behind by banks, um, by impact investors, by institutional funds, um, and even in the VC sector. So obviously, you know, across Africa, we've seen a huge, huge boom in venture capital. Um, but if we actually look at venture capital, it's very exclusive. Right. Um, there's lots of businesses that don't have local founders. Um, you know, less than one percent is going to female founders. Most of it is going into fintech and payments, um, and most of it is going into four markets. And so, a lot of businesses in the real economy, you know, manufacturers, health, education, are are being left behind by VC. Not always, but in most cases. And so, with Neo, we're really focused on those types of businesses. Um, we look at writing checks between about 50,000, uh, 500,000. We, we can go up to a million. We don't do it that often. Um, but really, our goal is to work with these businesses to get them to the, to the growth and potential where larger investors and banks can come in. And so um, that, that's kind of the work we do. We also do a lot of technical assistance. Um, so we foc on focus on investment readiness particularly. Um, and so we will have a platform. It's not going to launch until next year, um, but that is doing educational training um, for investment readiness. Um, it's doing one on one coaching. It's doing uh, networking opportunities. Um, it's also uh, providing business services to these small and growing businesses. Um, and so really our goal is to build this huge network of small businesses in both real economy. Um, you know, sometimes we do see tech solutions as well. Um, to really help grow the um, that kind of missing middle um, area uh, across Africa. Um, and so just in terms of uh, where we are now, we source from um, 15 different countries right now, um, including Nigeria. Um, and we are, you know, really focused on uh, building up our pipeline, um, and finding really exceptional businesses uh, to, to work with.
Okay, so I just want to ask for clarification on something you had mentioned. You'd mentioned 50,000 to 500,000. Is that in, in dollars? Yes, sorry, that's in US dollars. <laughs> um, just because we work across many, many different uh, markets, um, we don't usually do it in local currency. Um, but I should also mention that we we also really like to use alternative types of financing. Um, so right now, you know, in, in venture capital, it's it's all safes and pure equity. Um, and then from banks, of course, you have debt. And, and we like to do kind of um, uh, different types of financing. So we really like revenue-based financing um, where as the business grows, um, we as kind of returns will take a percentage of revenue. And this means if a business has, you know, a very bad quarter, um, unlike debt, there's not a specific amount they have to repay. So we try to be much more flexible with the types of financing that we use. Okay, okay. So according to Global Impact Investor Network Survey 2020. More than 43% of global impact funds are allocated to Africa. And the volume of capital is expected to hit 55% within the next five years. In your opinion, what is driving this priority flow of capital you know, into Africa? And is it good or bad for Africa? So I think overall, you know, flow of capital coming into the continent is, is very good. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why we're seeing more impact capital coming in is because um, Africa, if we look at the amount of impact that a dollar can have, Africa is the best market for that, right? You're going to optimize the amount of impact that one dollar can have. And so, you know, I work with, I know funds who are spending millions and millions of dollars on clean tech in Silicon Valley, where you can work on a clean tech project in, in Africa for, you know, $50,000, $100,000. And so that means that the efficiency in Africa is a lot higher. And I think that's what's that capital to come in. I think some of the issues we're seeing with the, with the impact capital coming in um, is the first off is usually the checks are just way too big. So a lot of the impact funds and foundations that I've worked with in the past, you know, they're looking to deploy a million, uh, $5 million for one deal. And if you think about these small businesses, I mean, taking on a million US dollars um, right away is it's just way too much. And so that's one of the biggest issues we're seeing in the impact investing market. Um, and so, and then of course we also have VC, which as I said before is, is quite exclusive. Um, and so there really isn't this kind of third area for impact capital um, that is working, you know, in the real economy at that kind of missing middle small business level. Um, and so I think right now we're just trying to figure out a way, how can we make sure that more impact capital is going to that area? Because realistically, um, you know, small businesses are the backbone of, of economies um, all across Africa. They create 70% of the jobs. And so right now, the capital is not quite making it to that sector. And so that's, I think, the biggest challenge that we are trying to, to overcome. That's that's actually quite interesting. I think this is the first time that I've heard um, a legitimate complaint about, you know, prior investment being a bit too much for you know, the company to handle. 
Well, I think it's definitely something to consider. Okay. Absolutely. So in, recent, in, in, in recent years, sustainable development has played you know, a significant role in shaping global policymaking. You know, as countries strive to meet um, the United Nations 20 target timeline for realizing sustainable development goal. Relatedly, on a regional scale, African countries are also striving to meet the African Union's Agenda 2063, you know, which is, is similar to the UN's 2030 target. In your opinion, where will you say the African continent is in terms of achieving sustainable development? And what role do you see impact investing playing in gearing Africa towards you know, achieving these um, economic goals in the future? So I think this is a very difficult question to answer. Um, and I mean, it's, it's also very interesting in terms of a global context, right? I think we're seeing the rest of the world it's slowing, um, you know, there's been um, kind of, there's been regressions um, in, in, in some areas and, and Africa just continues to grow. Um, and also in terms of, you know, policy, it, it's, and in terms of development, I, I think compared to the rest of the world, it's, it's at this point um, in time is actually making the, the absolute most progress. Um, now, is that progress enough to reach these goals? Um, it, it's, it's very hard to say. I think the goals are very ambitious and obviously there are a lot of challenges that we need to overcome. But I think, you know, when we think about the word sustainable development, in order for it to really be sustainable, you need to have a, an economy that is employing people, that is providing jobs. Um, you know, it, it certainly cannot just be aid coming in um, because that's, that's, you know, a one-off uh, transaction. You really need to build the capacity uh, within the country. And so obviously the private sector is uh, a key portion of this. And so, you know, one of the things that's quite interesting is, um, you know, in a lot of African countries, uh, not all, but a lot, you know, it's still seen as being the most prestigious to work for the government and not necessarily the private sector. And so, I think things there need to change, and that's a bit of a cultural change. Um, I think Nigeria is probably one of the countries where that's not necessarily true. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I think I think there, in order to create that sustainable development, there needs to really be an emphasis on building a strong private sector. And as I said before, it is the it's the small businesses that are actually the the key to doing that. And so in terms of impact investing, I think there is this really great opportunity for impact investing to come in and help build that backbone and help finance that backbone. Because right now, um, you know, banks are, are not really getting there. Um, you know, VCs are not really getting there. Private equity is not getting there. And so impact investing could be that um, that key financier that that helps build that gap that is needed and i think you know does it mean we will reach kind of the sdg goals um i'm not sure but i think it would certainly certainly help okay i think i think that was a very insightful answer and i 100 percent agree you know um African countries should not be looking to 
you know, foreigners to help them achieve their goals. At the end of the day, they're going to have to do the, the groundwork themselves. Absolutely. So one yeah, more thing I, is that. Please, please uh, go can, I, can I add to that? I'm just going to say that I think, you know, they're, they're absolutely, and from, from the Western perspective, there absolutely needs to be this, um, this change of, you know, we need to be giving aid um, to actually, we need to be investing in in local potential because there's so much potential on the ground. Um, and I'll probably go back to that at some point, but I think from the Western perspective, it's about, you know, investing in, in you know, amazing entrepreneurs and amazing ideas and great market opportunities. Um, you know, instead of just kind of sending aid and that change in perception will also help uh, will also help make um, more sustainable development. Okay, okay. So it's projected that Africa needs, um, going back to the need for finance, but it's projected that Africa needs about $256 billion financing each year up until 2030 to meet the sustainable development goals. Now, despite um, heightened global interest and impact to investing, capital deployed to date remains only a minuscule fraction of total assets under management globally, and is not yet at a scale where it can make any meaningful impact to Africa's nascent oil sector. Will it then be correct that our expectations from impact capital is bloated? And should Africa be looking, you know, to more conventional capital sources to fund its development? So I think the first thing I'll say here is that this idea that if I, and we sometimes see this from Western um, investors, that you know if I am investing in Africa, this is impact. And I mean, that's not the way we should be looking at it, right? Um, as I said, I think at your first question that we need to be thinking about impact in a way that you're either taking on more risk um, or you know uh, less returns. Um, in order to, to generate more impact. Um, and, and there's lots of people out there who will disagree with me by saying that, by the way. Um, so I think if we think about impact in that way, there are so many businesses across Africa that are you know, very profitable, that have huge market opportunities, um, where conventional capital is, is actually what they need. They don't necessarily need impact capital, they need conventional capital. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, we see solid manufacturing companies that have tons of orders that just don't have the working capital to actually fulfill those orders. And so I think bringing in conventional capital from banks, um, from investors, I mean, we're starting to see more fintech solutions that do things like revenue based financing or uh, like contract and trade finance. Um, I, I think that conventional capital, if we're seeing it as just commercial capital, um, needs to increase as well. And, and that's actually not where the impact investing should necessarily go. Um, the impact investing needs to go to those businesses who are maybe, um, you know, doing more research and development or trying something completely new, um, who are, um, you know, being left behind. So maybe like specific female founders that are having a hard time or minority groups that are having a hard time finding conventional capital. And so, 
Um, obviously, we are seeing a lot of impact capital go towards just very profitable businesses, but realistically, that's actually just where conventional capital should go. And so I think I think moving forward, it's that Africa needs more of both um, and that we need to just start looking at how we use conventional capital a bit differently. And so, you know, when we think about venture capital funds, again, there's huge opportunities in Africa uh, for VC, but is direct equity the right tool to be using there? Should we maybe be using um, a different strategy where we don't uh, expect an IPO because, you know, IPOs don't happen very often in Africa yet. So there's lots of things to think about in terms of, you know, tons of profitable opportunities in Africa. It's the fastest growing market um, with, you know, huge, huge um, consumer base that is starting to spend more. Um, mm, kind of lost my train of thought. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of, you know, lots more conventional capital and, and lots more impact capital. Okay, thank you. So now I want to ask based on your experience, you know, in what you do. So given your position as an aggregator, what sectors or regions in Africa are the hottest spots for impact finance development? Where do you see the greatest interest, you know, among impact investor demography going to? So does it go to education, transport, healthcare, energy, water supply, housing, agriculture? Where exactly is the money going? And would you say that investor priorities align with the continent's biggest needs? Yeah, so I mean, I would say in the past two years, We've, I mean, the, the boom in tech has been huge. Um, it's, it's been very interesting to see. Um, and, and what's been even more interesting is that we actually see a slowdown in VC um, across the globe, except in Africa. Um, and so obviously tech has kind of become the the most from the investors I work with, definitely kind of the most in demand. Um, and and with this, definitely fintech and e-commerce kind of are the most popular. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, we see a little bit of, of health tech and, and kind of um, uh, insure tech and prop tech and that kind of stuff. Um, and so, as I said before, I think obviously there is a market for this, but I do think the fact that now impact investors are like, oh, if I do VC in Africa, this is this is impact. And if we actually look at the needs of of Africa and, and African businesses, um, you know, we don't need uh, a whole bunch of we don't need a whole bunch of flutter waves, right? Flutter waves, you know, they, they did very well. Um, you know, they're definitely helping to make payments easier. There's certainly a place for flutter wave, um, but, but that's not all we need, right? We need a much more diversified economy to create that sustainable development. And so um, I really think that investors need to be much more focused on the real economy. They need to be um, putting more money in these kind of not necessarily slow growth companies, but just kind of more, um, you know, steady growth companies compared to tech companies that have that kind of 
uh, they're supposed to have that hockey stick growth, right? You can still get excellent returns from manufacturing businesses and from more traditional style businesses that are growing quickly. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's it's just different from VC and VC is what is hot at the moment. And so I think that that's obviously more general in terms of kind of areas in terms of more specific in sectors, um, I think during COVID, we saw a lot of interest in healthcare. Um, if you are a healthcare tech company out there, um, there are a lot of telemedicine companies out there trying to raise. And I think um, investors are now starting to get a bit frustrated because they're just seeing the same thing over and over again. And so I think the health sector, there is still demand from investors, but you really need to be bringing something different to the table. And that could be in the real economy. Um, absolutely. Um, so I think that's one thing to think about in terms of what I think is also really important is education. Um, obviously, we have a very young population across Africa, and that is going to be the workforce um, in the next 15, 20 years and increasing education, whether that's using tech, whether that's using kind of real economy solutions, um, whatever solution that might be, I think um, the education sector does need a lot more, um, uh, needs a lot more investment. Uh, so, you know, last year, um, there were definitely some big deals in education, but like a lot of it went to big names like Andela. Um, who obviously is doing fantastic work, but we again need to kind of diversify a bit more. We need to get into earlier education. Um, we need to get into different types of skills training um, and, and that kind of side. So I think there's a lot more work to be done in, in education as well. So it's, it's, it's an interesting um, direction the conversation is going. So it seems like investors need to be more aware, you know, to diversify their investments so away from, so while, the, while we expect that they will participate, you know, in this very large um, companies like Flutterwave and Andela and so on, you know, they have to be aware of other products um, from smaller businesses, you know, that can provide steady funds. So how do, you know, those small companies poach their businesses or, or sell their businesses to these investors? How do they let them, okay, this is what we do and this is why you should invest in us as well as you know in, in these other companies because it seems that there needs to be that line of communication between the investor and and this company absolutely so i think um to, to answer your question in the most direct way when i talk to these types of companies um so let's say they're they're a manufacturer they're in agro processing or something like that if you come to me and you have um, you have you know five hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars worth of contracts, future contracts, right? And you say you know we we need working capital to fulfill these, or we need to expand our production facility so we can fulfill these. Um, having that like having that demand shown right away is a huge indicator that that we look for. Um, and so if you're able to, to build your business in that way, I think going to investors and say like, look, we, we clearly have this, we clearly have the demand, um, you know, we need specific financing to fulfill these contracts. Um, to, to us, that's, that's the easiest thing to do. Obviously we still have to do due diligence. We still need to look at the product and all of that, but, but showing that demand 
is really important. And I think investors need to be open to that as well, because again, we're a lot of investors are kind of looking for this mythical unicorn, right? Where actually there's no concrete facts that that business is going to take off and become a unicorn, right? You could get lucky and it will happen. But if you come to a business, if you, if you go to an investor and you say, look, I, I can guarantee you that we have these contracts and you're going to make X percent off of these contracts. Um, you're giving the investor a, a very solid grounding to put money into the business. Um, and so what that looks like, that will depend on the relationship to the investor. But I think if you're in the real economy, that's what you need to sell. Not this mythical unicorn, but this very concrete, um, we have money coming in. Um, you're going to make X percent out of it. Okay. Okay. So following the successful wrap of the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, we saw that post school and business leaders around the world, so like in about 200 countries, you know, they agreed to the Glasgow Climate Pact on behalf of the respective countries. So this is a critical step towards achieving net zero globally. 115 countries, including African countries such as Nigeria, submitted their nationally determined contribution towards net zero. So they all pledged that at this point in time, they're going to, you know, achieve net zero in their respective countries. Now, in reality, how feasible is the expectation for energy transition as to green energy in Africa? I think I'll first start off by just mentioning that I'm not a clean energy expert. I focus more on, on the social impact side, um, but I certainly think it is a, a very feasible goal um, in, in terms of, you know, moving towards renewable energy. I mean, I like to use the analogy that, you know, Africa had this kind of incredible leapfrog um, effect in um in telecommunications, right? As the rest of the world kind of went, um, you know, they went landline and, and dial up and then they went to, you know, cell phones and, you know, there was kind of this slow progress where, where Africa just leaped right away to kind of the, the newest technology. And with that also created, I mean, M-Pesa is still kind of, it was still kind of the first of its kind globally. Right. And so that innovation came from that kind of leapfrog effect. And I think the same is very possible with renewable energy. Um, instead of kind of going through that that phase of using um, fossil fuels and all of that, that Africa has this this beautiful opportunity to kind of leapfrog into actually being a leader in terms of renewable energy um, and, you know, building innovations that are not being seen around the globe yet um, to, to solve kind of specific renewable energy problems. Um, I mean, the one thing I will just kind of mention with that is, is obviously industrialization um, is still important and, you know, manufacturing businesses, uh, you know, lots, lots of them still need to use uh, fossil fuels. And, and I, I don't think it necessarily means that everyone needs to move to renewables right away. I think you still need to build your business, but I think the innovation that's going to happen in renewables is going to make it easier and easier for all types of businesses and all types of households to to access renewable energy. Um, and I think Africa can be a leader in that. Okay, thank you. 
And this is the final question. So now that the African Continental Free Trade Agreement has entered its operational phase, how do you reckon that its implementation will impact you know, regional competitiveness and the flow of impact capital? Also, how can impact investors best position themselves to achieve their personal and altruistic goals you know, with this free trade um, arrangement going on? Yeah, so I mean, one of the biggest issues that I have when working with small businesses is market expansion um, and integration. So, you know, as an example, um, working with a business in Rwanda, they do incredibly well, um, but Rwanda is a very small market. So, of course, they want to expand into Kenya. And so that expansion into Kenya can cause a lot of issues. Um, it can be a lot more difficult than people think. Um, you know, the regulation and everything is different. And so, you know, even something as simple as traveling across the continent, um, you know, if you want to go from Mauritius to Morocco, you actually have to go through like Dubai or France to, to do that. And so right now, I think the African continent is, is very, uh, it's very divided and it's very hard then to integrate. And what this means in the past is that, you know, specifically with real businesses, the big question has always been like, you know, are you exporting to the US or are you exporting to the EU? Um, and that's what a lot of investors will look for. And I think now what this has done is it's, it's allowed us to think more of Africa as a whole economic region, right? And that real businesses, um, they don't necessarily just need to export to the US or the EU, but they can actually, you know, more easily start exporting to neighboring countries and to other regions across Africa. And not only is this just fantastic in terms of, for me as an investor financially, because we're going, it's going to be easier for a business in a small country like Rwanda to expand to bigger markets. Um, but in terms of impact, it's also huge, right? Because instead of, um, you know, a food, a food production agribusiness, um, you know, exporting to the US to make money, they're actually exporting to other African countries where they can help with food security. And so I think this has been a, you know, obviously we're still seeing it being implemented and I think there's definitely still kinks and it's going to take a long time for us to, to really see the effects. But I think it does bring a lot of hope in terms of seeing Africa not as, you know, 50 separate market, but as one large market that has a huge, huge opportunity, both financially and then also on the impact side as well. well thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, I think that is my last question. But if you have any other, you know, comments you'd like to make, we'd love to hear that. Uh, I mean, first, I mean, first off, thanks so much. Um, I think it's been a really interesting discussion. Um, I really just want to say that, uh, you know, I'm I'm not against tech. I think tech has a huge place in the market, um, but I really do think that the the real economy is is important. And I think if you're an entrepreneur that's listening to this and in the real economy, um, keep being tenacious, and you're doing amazing work. And I think you know we are starting to move towards uh, you know supporting you and and finding finance for you and. 
I think, uh, yeah, I think in terms of impact, uh, you guys are really the, uh, as I said before, backbone of it. So continue the, the hard work. Okay. Thank you so much for making time to join us today, Sarah. It's been a very, very insightful conversation. To you out there, thank you for being a fabulous audience. Remember the conversation continues on our social media handles. Do remember to send us your comments and thoughts on today's episode. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by DOHQ Partners. To find out more about our services, visit www.dohqpartners.com. See you on the next episode.